0: Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today, you know, it's April 13th. We got the draft a couple weeks away, but we got plenty of news that has come down. As always, I am joined by Andrew Erickson here on this Tuesday, Wednesday, if you're listening to it the day after. Who who cares when you're listening to us? the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Andrew and Ian here to talk ball as always. Andrew, what's going on, my man?
1: Ian, what is up, dude? I am excited to talk about all the things that we have on the docket for today. Tons of good stuff. Some Some more Bruce Arians running backfield, diving in. This guy just gives us, he's just an endless supply of content for us fantasy analysts. Gotta love it.
0: I'm just at a loss for intros when I don't have a week, you know, to be like, hey, ha- like happy week six, man. You know, happy Super Bowl. I, just, I, I had the 32 for 32 series after that. I got to push that problem down the road. But here it is, rearing its ugly face again. But as Andrew brought up, we do have plenty of news to get through. And also, we're going to have some fun. Andrew came up with some fun, uh, cool ideas uh, to kind of just, uh, different ways, you know, breaking down the draft and some winners and losers. We're going to have a Leroy Jenkins-themed lesson for all you uh, fellow millennials out there that grew up with that. And also a uh, quick little segment on which veteran RBs, do we think could escape the draft unscathed, depending on where our big three wind up going. So without further ado, Andrew, let's get after it. First news item broke today. James Conner has signed to the Cardinals. Now, I did happen to predict this back on March 9th. And before you say, well, Ian, what else did you predict on March 9th? Let's not worry about all those other misses. Uh, the only reason why I did say James Connor could go to the Cardinals was, to me, it represented a low-cost way to kind of replace Ken and Drake. I don't believe we had the numbers on the contract just yet, but, I mean, come on. I, I'd be hard-pressed to believe it's going to be more than a 3 to $5 uh, million per year. But yeah, his uh, old running back coach for the Steelers, James Saxon, is with the Cardinals. So, Andrew, I'm kind of torn here. It reminds me of Carlos High going to the Jaguars because on the surface, no, James Conner is not the biggest threat to Chase Edmonds' RB1 season. I don't think like his skill set is worrisome. But at the same time, I'm not exactly thrilled about him reuniting with one of his former coaches. What do you make of this move? And I guess how are you evaluating Conner and Edmonds in land? ahead of 2021
1: i think it's better for chase edmonds that it's james connor that's coming in here and not a member of the big three whether it was Javante williams etienne yeah. or harris so i think that james connor he's fine but we've kind of shown he's kind of shown us what he is over the past couple seasons you know he's been declining in production and that's not something that we chase after with the running back position you know he his fantasy points per game have dipped you know 21.5 in 2018 14.8 in 2019 12.7 last year which ranked 28th in the league so look Edmonds has been really efficient on his touches you know he finished last season sixth overall in fantasy points per touch again that's because he's involved in the passing game and I just don't see James Connor necessarily being so much better as a pass catcher or really profiling as the pass catching specialist so he can just step in and then Edmonds becomes like the Kenyon Drake role like they're it's really going to come down to, you know, where the roles are allocated between these two backs. But isn't that have... the
0: problem, though? They're going to have, they're each going to have a role. and Even if Drake, even if, uh, excuse me, Connor is like a lesser version of what Drake was last year. I mean, to me, like, all right, credit to you. You were not on Drake last Even though, all right. You look back at the final year results and like Drake actually yeah. had a pretty good 2020, <laughs> but I think we can all agree, you know, I'll, I'll take an L on that. But my rationale for getting behind Drake last year was simple. The Cardinals, whether it's David Johnson, Drake, or even Chase Edmonds for a game in 2019, only used one back and they featured that, that that guy. They gave him an 80% workhorse role. Now it seems like at a minimum, man, we're back in this two committee system with Kylo Murray who, hey, even though he did get Edmonds those targets, man, as we know, dual threat quarterbacks typically are not good for for the running back business in land. So, you know, we can talk about the roles. But, yeah, it's good that it wasn't a big three back, man. But that also means, you know, you know Benjamin coming in as a seventh-round pick. I know there's some truthers still out there. But, like, that would have been best case. Best case scenario would have yep. been a fifth or sixth-round pick. So, I'm with you. It wasn't a big three. I'll take James Conner instead of that. But it's not ideal.
1: No, it's not ideal, but I think that it at least is going to put a cap on his ADP. Because I think people were starting to catch on that Edmonds was a value in the sixth round with not that much competition. But at the same time, James Conner has not been a bill of health the past two seasons. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. Running backs get hurt all the time. And when Edmonds had the chance to be the guy... He was the featured back, you know, over 21 touches, 80% snap share in that one game that he got to play or 96% of the team snaps on offense in that one game that he played without Kenyon Drake. So we're going to see some big weeks from Edmonds, especially if he gets the getting the featured role. I just, I think that right now in his ADP in the sixth round, if it stays there, I'm probably still going to be interested in Edmonds. And I think James Conner, at least, I mean, he wasn't going drafted at all 18th pick. I mean, heck, why not? You know, Edmonds has gotten hurt too. So, and he plays an explosive offense.
0: I can give you a million reasons why not, and you just laid out a bunch of them before we uh, got to that. Yeah, look, so Connor, you know, I almost want to put Connor on my, like, age, ages list just because... I He mean, was, mean, like, 25. Even though he's that young, man, it's just been that bad. This dude suffered. He, he had off-season surgery on his toe, which happened in an ATV accident, man. He can't help but get injured, and I hate the term injury prone. I don't think it exists for a lot of guys, but, man, oh, man, 14, 13, 10, then 13 games for Connor. It hasn't been great, man. I do not want anything to do with Connor in fancyland I understand Drake, you know, Drake, Zeke, and Dalvin Cook, only guys with at least 20 rushes inside the five-yard line last year. I just don't think it's going to be something where, you know, they're going to just yank Edmonds off the field in favor of Connor every single time they get inside the five-yard line. You know, we've had the Mike Tolberts over the years that really are that goal line vulture. But typically, uh, you know, if you're out there, unless there's a stoppage of play, the running back that was on the field is going to stay on the field. Andrew, I'm going to press you a little bit here, though. Chase Edmonds or Claude Euler?
1: Oh, I'll take Clyde edwards hilaire Chase
0: Edmonds or Raheem
1: Mostert. See, that's where I'm getting. That's where we getting more interesting. Okay. I think I like Mostert.
0: Chase Edmonds or Josh Jacobs.
1: Oh god, that's I'll also go with Josh Jacobs.
0: I think I would go Edmonds there. Okay, I'm I'm coming around to this. Like because Connor's here, Edmonds isn't going to shoot up and get that RB one ADP that would have happened if a round seven back came into the fold. So, okay, yeah, he's not going to be someone that we're going to be begging you to come away with in your first three rounds of drafts, but you don't need to as long as he keeps going at that round five, round six turn, uh, Andrew. I think we're going to be in the Chase Evans business.
1: I like it. Good. This is a uh, pro Chase Edmonds podcast.
0: I've you know we, we've talked it through, and I'm mean, You know, it's not Chase Edmonds RB one season, but it might just be Chase Edmonds RB two season here I mean, in at least we know we
1: can catch. He can catch passes, so like they, that's some good. And I was about have... to say
0: he's almost an exception. Again, you've done good work on dual threat quarterbacks, usually not throwing uh, to the running backs, but he cut. 50 balls last year with Drake in the fold, and they used them a lot. I mean, 107 snaps in the slot, 34 out wide. They're willing to put him out there and just kind of throw him some design screen and stuff, just get the ball in his hands in space. So credit to Kingsbury. You know, we've, we've mocked him a little bit for, you know, being kind of the fake sharp guy in the NFL. But at a minimum, Kingsbury at least seems to have a plan for how he likes to use Edmonds in the passing game. Indeed. All right, so other running back news. Not not the pass-catching running back that Andrew Dude. wanted going to the Buccaneers, but a pass-catching running back nonetheless. Not my guy, Duke Johnson, who is still, unfortunately, unemployed. Giovanni Bernard, the Mr. Mustache Man, has gone to Tampa Bay. Bruce Arians has come out, or I think it was Arians, basically. Maybe it was report, just, you know, they got tired of watching Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones dropping passes for the entire season. Andrew, like... So we've talked about this Buccaneers backfield, and I understand Rojo or Fournette were returning at least RB2 value for a lot of weeks in 2020. This is the problem, though. I think now we are looking at a full-blown three-back committee like we had in 2019. And those snap counts, for those that don't remember. In 2019, Rojo played 36.5% snaps, Peyton Barber 29.8%, Ogumba-Walle 31.7%. Andrew, that is fantasy football hell right there in terms of the RB position. I know this offense is great. Everyone can be of value at the right age. ADP. But man, I'm going to have a hard time getting either Rojo or Fournette. I mean, I guess Gio is free and we can kind of talk, talk ourselves into him, you know, at the bottom barrel of things. But even then, man, I think the answer to his Tampa Bay backfield is probably just no.
1: I agree tenfold it it doesn't make a lot of sense you know what I was trying to think maybe is Giovanni Bernard just a scapegoat for like a Lashawn McCoy signing is that like what he's going to do and actually be on the team but not actually do anything is that potentially what the signing is about but then for them to specifically say well we're sick of Fournette and Ronald Jones dropping the ball and even Keyshawn Vaughn dropped a bunch of passes last year too Then you have Giovanni Bernard, who's better in pass pro than basically all of those guys that are on the team. Actually, Keyshawn Vaughn was actually graded extremely well in pass blocking last year. Again, it's on a very small sample size, but Keyshawn Vaughn was pretty decent in that. Look, right now, you you can't touch Fournette, definitely, because that was his one appeal was the fact that he was being peppered with targets, and now Giovanni Bernard is directly coming in to potentially take targets. I don't think that... Necessarily changes my thoughts on Ronald Jones. I think Ronald Jones is the clear, you know, early down back. I think he's the best back and he's probably the best opportunity to score touchdowns. So he's probably the only one that I really have any genuine interest in. I think that if his ADP starts to fall because of Bernard, where their roles don't really overlap at all, I don't think that's warranted. So I'd be willing to scoop that up because, you know, Ronald Jones, you know, he was actually good last year. Like he was good as a running back, he scores touchdowns, and the office is going to put up points. Whereas Fournette needs those pass catching reps and Bernard is directly going to eat into that.
0: I would project Rojo to lead the team in touches. Unfortunately, it's going to be a number starting with a two, maybe even a one instead of a three. But, yeah, man, Gio still somehow, like, he, this is the oldest 29-year-old in America. I feel like he's been in the <laughs> league forever. I'm not sure when he made this. I'd love to get some like mustache on-off splits because I know he didn't always have it. It kind of yeah. came to everyone's attention this last <laughs> offseason. But, you know, yeah. Maybe it could be a LaShawn McCoy thing, but I think Gio is solid enough as a pass catcher. Yeah. You know, what he got benched last year for losing his first fumble in like half a decade. Like, you know, <laughs> okay, Bill Lazer might be a dickhead about that, but I'm, I'm somewhat <laughs> confident that Bruce Arians might have a little bit longer to leash for a proven vet like Giovanni Brown. We will see. There's ne- <laughs> never any certainty with uh, Bruce Arians. I'm sure we'll have plenty of offseason quotes to continue to go back to there. But for now, Tampa Bay backfield more muddled than ever. Andrew, I, I see you've uh, honored. Honored your fallen soldier, Julian Edelman. You got the jersey and your background. Announce his retirement. I know you're a longtime Pats fan. The floor is yours. Give it up for Julian Edelman.
1: Yeah, dude, Julian Edelman. Uh, Some of my favorite plays from his historic run with the Patriots: two touchdowns in relief of Wes Welker in his first ever playoff game against the Baltimore Ravens that the Patriots got absolutely blown out in. Locking down Anquan Bolden in the AFC Championship game in 2011. Not really. Pulled up the stats, because that's what you can do on PFF.com, which is tons of fun. So, Anquan Bolden versus Julian Edelman in coverage. Edelman was targeted four times. He gave up three catches for 51 yards. Sheesh. Not great. Not great. But one of them was thrown out of bounds, and it actually was a key play in the game. Edelman didn't make a play on the ball, but still. He did have a forced fumble in one of his games when he was playing defense. He had five tackles in a game, too. So, Edelman just kind of the whole package of a you know a player that is tough tough as nails down you know he did the all the reverses you know the reverse passes down to Amendola the third and 14 against the Seahawks when he just absolutely got lit up by Cam Chancellor (laughs) and then obviously the big catch against the Atlanta Falcons that's probably his most famous play um, as a Patriot so again I mean, he's not a Hall of Famer. Like, I'm just going to say it's not a thing. Like, because if you take him out of the Patriots, dude, we may not even know who this guy is, like, whatsoever. And I think that's just a perfect way to look at it. You know, Calvin Johnson, dude, you would have put this guy on literally any team, and he literally would have been Megatron, no matter what. But that's not the case with Julian Edelman. If it wasn't Julian Edelman, it would have been Chris Hogan. It would have been Danny Amendola. Like, those guys would have potentially had stepped up in those situations. I mean years prior it was Troy Brown that was doing the things that Edelman did, you know, in the, you know, the second half of the the Patriots dynasty. So Patriots Hall of Famer, yes, real Hall of Famer, not in my book.
0: So these conversations piss me off. I only have four <laughs> muted words in my Twitter. They are we'll be watching closely, which is interesting. Schedule leak, baseball and also Eli Manning Hall of <laughs> baseball. Fame. So Yeah, I'm not a fan of these things uh, in general. You know, shout out to my Cleveland Indians, but otherwise not a fan of many of those things I just listed. Here's my thing with Edelman, though. Okay, he's obviously not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but isn't this dude, like, absolutely going to get in, you know, in 60 years when, you know, we're all, like, barely even walking around these days anyway? Like, I feel like he could be, you know, okay— I think Lynn Swan is a decent comp where it's a shorter reign of dominance. I mean, okay, Edelman, he had, you know, you brought up when Walker was out, and, you know, the quick uh, Troy, Troy Brown impersonation trying to play defensive back uh, and all that. But if you really look at Edelman's career, I mean, it was basically from 2013 to 2019, and you see that same thing with Lin Swan, man. He didn't have the longest, uh, I guess, reign of dominance in the regular season throughout his career, but huge playoff moments, and they do matter more, man. And I understand, you know, without Tom Brady, what would a Julian Edelman will but you know what? He was there and it did happen. So it's one of these things where, uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of people, you know, talk down on some wide receivers because, you know, uh, they don't have the same amount of yards and you can argue that, you know, yards are a kind of a more, uh, I guess, stable factor than touchdowns, but points win football games the goal of football is to win Super Bowls. It has to matter somewhat, man. And even if Edelman wasn't entirely responsible for it, I do think it matters to some extent. So again, I hate these conversations. I'm sure you all tired this as well. So we'll, we'll move on. But in my opinion, Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer, but I would not like it if he got in within the next 20, 30 years. So that's you know a good way of me kind of scraping past the issue. But Andrew, we do have another wide receiver that retired, and that was Taylor Gabriel. Any thoughts on this one? I, I had a few thoughts. Things to say, but I didn't know if you uh, appreciated Gabriel like I did over the years.
1: Taylor Gabriel, the only thing I really remember him from, and I think you may have tweeted out the, the graphic, but when he absolutely cooked <laughs> Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl, like when I was watching that play, I'm just like, oh my God, this game is over. Taylor Gabriel, you know, he was a really good player for the Falcons. He had a lot of stretches of decent, decent play. And he was actually a good player on the Browns. He was like, he was a a series of Browns players that had left the team and then gone to play for another team and actually been decent. I think Willie Sneed was like another guy that just was drafted by the Browns when we went to the Saints and almost put up a thousand yards. And Taylor Gabriel kind of fell in that similar category. I think even like a Terrell Pryor was like in a similar situation, but yeah. Uh Taylor Gabriel, again obviously not as hype. Maybe if he had made the catch Edelman made we'd be talking about him <laughs> as a Hall of Famer, but Alas, sorry, Taylor.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm very ready for the James White Hall of Fame talks here in a, in a few years as well. But yeah, with Gabriel, I tweeted out the clip of him just, you know, sending Malcolm Butler to the shadow realm, I think was my, were my exact <laughs> words. But yeah, man. And by the way, like Patriots Twitter, can you guys chill out? You've won so many Super Bowls and you're still like just so offended by every tweet. I had, I don't know how many screen grabs saying, oh, look, he stepped on Butler's foot. And then other people say, oh, how'd that game end? Like, chill out. It was a good <laughs> route. The guy retired today like find something else to bark about people my goodness but yes uh, honestly I was shocked when Kyle Shanahan didn't grab Gabriel when he was a free agent last year because we saw him with the Browns then with the Falcons really get the most out of this guy and I mean undrafted five foot seven, one 168 pounds everything was set up for Taylor Gabriel to never have you know a, anything resembling a long-term NFL career but credit to that dude man six years in the league made a number of big-time plays pretty much wherever he went even, when those, even in the Bears years man I mean he was their number two receiver he had that three-touchdown game, I think in prime time, uh, once upon a time, uh, you know, was not never out of his place as a legit NFL wide receiver, and credit to him on that, and best of luck uh, in his future retirement. Andrew, Titans coach Mike Vrabel said, now here's just, you know, an offseason doozy of a quote, Josh Reynolds can play both outside and in the slot, lol, but it's a good, it's a good time to bring up to the Titans, in my opinion, with the Packers, kind of stand out as these top two teams where, okay, we know these passing offenses are, you know, Packers will be more productive than Titans, but at least very efficient. We saw there's plenty of available targets. We can see a highly drafted receiver going here and making plays. With that said, if they don't draft a wide receiver, Josh Reynolds is sitting there, sitting pretty, man, as the number two in Tennessee. Are you at all intrigued with him, you know, towards the bottom of Josh right now?
1: Not, not really. I mean, Josh Reynolds has kind of been a jag most of his career. Again, he's been behind a lot of better receivers, the Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. And I just think that if they draft a rookie, whether it's Elijah Moore, Terrence Marshall, or any of these guys that can get in the back end of the first round or the beginning or in the second round, I I think that's really going to be a rookie that has a potential to blow up in in 2021 working alongside A.J. Brown. Again, we saw Corey Davis be super productive. Again, if you're getting that from a rookie who could potentially be just more talented. And and I see a lot of similarities between the situation – where we saw with Justin Jefferson landing in Minnesota. Again, you have a, an al- established alpha. So last year it was Thielen. He was there. He was the number one. You have AJ Brown established there, but really no one else behind him. You know, Josh Reynolds could potentially be, you know, what Tajay Sharp was like, I don't want to, I don't want to put that on him, but again, kind of a similar mold veteran who really hasn't established himself. He's had a couple of decent games here and there filling in, but I think that a rookie landing there could could potentially be could potentially blow up, and I think it works too. You know, you look at Kirk Cousins; he's a efficient passer. Yeah. Again, the Vikings focus on running the ball, but he's attached to an efficient passer, and that's really what Ryan Tannehill's been. You look at the past two seasons, quarterback rating, yards per attempt, everything, PFF grade. You know, Ryan Tannehill's basically number one across the board over the past two seasons. So I, I really like the rookie landing spot, and I think that. It's all fine, and Danny, if Josh Reynolds wants to play in the slot, as long as A.J. Brown gets a 28% target share, I'll be uh, I'll be good to go.
0: Look, the Vikings, the Titans, and Seahawks can talk about wanting to run the ball all they want. Look at those defenses, man. I think it's yeah. going to be shootout after shootout with the Tennessee Titans this year. And, man, you know, I've gotten A.J. Brown in a lot of drafts, obviously. you got to, you know, support the brand any way you can. And every time I get him, you know, usually round two, I, 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 towards the turn, I'm scooping up Tannehill Anthony Ferkser, and maybe even Josh Reynolds at the end of the draft. It's one of the cheaper stacks you can make. And you don't need to do it if you don't get A.J. Brown. But if you happen to get A.J. Brown, make Tannehill one of your top two quarterbacks. You're getting him at a perfectly reasonable price. And then Ferkser and Reynolds are truly dirt cheap. And then you might just have the Titans' top three pass game options. So thank me later when you bring home that underdog best ball championship with that Titans stack. Andrew, Shanahan, and Lynch will be attending Justin Fields' second pro day Come on, man! Like, is this just the most? I'm so sick and tired of this storyline. So we can move on. Maybe I shouldn't have even put it in the notes, but <laughs> I just feel like they've made this decision months ago. Like, come on! They're not going to go to a second pro day now and see anything they haven't already seen.
1: What okay, are we doing? So now? I, again, I don't know exactly what they're doing. I I still think. I mean, I initially thought it was going to be Justin Fields, and then I, you know, Daniel Jeremiah, Adam Schefter, Peter Schrager. You know, all these guys, especially Schrager and Daryl, Jeremiah. Daniel Jeremiah, they're specifically two of the top best mock drafters, like in the past couple seasons, and both of them have Mac Jones being drafted by the 49ers. So it's something to just take a note of. And look, whether we believe it or not, it's confirmation bias at its fight at its highest. You know, we would see 49ers fans be gloating about them drafting Justin Fields if that's what the reports were saying. And nobody would, you know, be batting an eye, but because it's somebody different that they're thinking, oh, it's wrong, it can't be right. But well, let me pick your brain about something, Ian. So, Again, the studies have shown, the research has shown that, you know, mobile quarterbacks don't necessarily are are more injury prone than, you know, stable quarterbacks. Again, it may go against, you know, what we would think initially, you know, if you're running around more, you're going to get hit, you're more likely to get injured. But in the case of the 49ers specifically, you know, maybe there's some PTSD with Kyle Shanahan with, you know, RG3, you know, okay, he got hurt. And Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, he got hurt. You know, the first time he got hurt, he was scrambling outside the pocket. You know, the last time he got hurt, he was actually sacked. So, again, maybe it doesn't matter. But maybe they're looking at, hey, we're a Super Bowl team when our quarterback plays all 16 games. Like, maybe that's all they're trying to aim for. And they're not necessarily chasing the total upside of a mobile quarterback in the offense. Because maybe they watched that, the play that Justin Fields made in the playoffs when he runs and gets smashed in the in the in the ribs obviously plays with broken ribs Obviously shows a lot of heart in that play, but at the same time, maybe they don't maybe that's not what they're looking for. Again, okay, just picking the brain.
0: I'm gonna cut this galaxy brain of a dollar. <laughs> but that's what we're kind of forced to be doing to try to rationalize this pick. So I don't hate it with that. I will say, uh, he came on the pod last offseason, but uh Dr. Edwin Porras at FB Injury Doc, the medical analyst over at Fantasy Points, he's done some great work showing that in fact dual threat quarterbacks are less injury prone. And it makes sense when you think about it, people. Okay, you have your RG3s. Like if you don't know how to slide, that's a little bit problematic, but you know, you see. Lamar Jackson's of the world, and Kyler Murray's like they're good enough athletes to get down, slide when they need to, get out of bounds. Football is different today than it was in 1990 when it was a freaking free for all anytime a defender could get their uh, hands on the quarterback. So we got to realize just like you know, 170 pound wide receivers can last a little bit longer in today's NFL, so can a quarterback that leans on their legs. And we do have evidence of that. Maybe Shanahan and Lynch disagree. I guess my biggest thing with this situation is that why are we only looking at Kyle Shanahan like he really has even the say? with this pick man it was a couple years ago we got that you know Peter King uh Monday morning quarterback talking about the 49ers and how Shanahan was begging John Lynch to take Mr. Joe Williams in the fourth round the draft because he was you know Shanahan's preferred running back and Lynch relented and went in I understand they're having conversations you know you're drafting a franchise quarterback you would think that Shanahan's gonna have say over it but I don't know man like with the Packers we've been saying like why wouldn't Aaron Rodgers have you know say in you know what they're doing in the offseason he doesn't that's not how they run things in Green Bay. We don't really know how things are run in San Fran, but I think Lynch is a decision maker. And the more we keep focusing in on just, you know, Shanahan's past quarterbacks, I, I don't know, man. I just think it's a little bit short-sighted. When's the last time Shanahan really had the chance to uh, go up and get a top quarterback? Because we talk about Kirk Cousins, but look at that situation. What did that tell us? That Shanahan couldn't get the quarterback he wanted because of what the general manager wanted to do anyway. So I, I just think we're overrating a little bit what Kyle Shanahan wants because ultimately it's what John Lynch wants. And whether or not he's willing to work nicely with Shanny remains to be seen. But enough on that. More fun rumor, Andrew. ESPN's Chris, Chris Morrison has said that Jerry Jones is, quote-unquote, infatuated with uh, Kyle Pitts. I love draft season, Jerry. You know, we get the, we had the Johnny Manziel uh, years where he was just, you know, just the quotes out of this guy just continue to be fantastic when he misses out on what he uh, perceives to be, uh, you know, a, quote-unquote, generational prospect. Andrew. How hyped would you be about Kyle Pitts on the Cowboys from a fantasy perspective?
1: Or not not enough targets. Infatuated with Kyle Pitts, me and you both, Jerry. Me and you both. That would be absolutely insane, the Cowboys offense with Kyle Pitts. And honestly, I think it could kind of work. You look at the way that they use the tight end position. Dalton Schultz, you know, not really your you know, a standout tight end in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, he ran the third most routes at the tight end position last year. It's someone, I I like Blake Jarwin a lot in drafts in best ball because I think that he has athletic upside. But again, if you insert Kyle Pitts, again, who's just going to run laps over guys like Dalton Schultz and Blake Jarwin, there's an opportunity there because, look, their defense sucks. So they're going to, especially because they're not going to be improving it by taking Pitts and not (laughs) a defensive back or anything like that. And they're just going to be saying, hey, well, you know what? If we have to win every game, you know, 50 to 40, like we paid Dak. We might as well (laughs) use his arm. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, look, this offense is one of the few ones where we could say, okay, there are four relevant pass catchers, but maybe they could all put up some points. Man, you had Kyle Pitts, man, 40 points a game on offense, but can they hold the opposition to under 50 uh, remains to be seen. I do think this is smoke. The Cowboys have been pretty consistent in drafts in recent years. Uh, Mine has taken Zeke over uh, Jalen Ramsey, but we won't uh, rub that one in Cowboys fans' faces too much longer. Andrew, the Eagles signed Jordan Howard to a one-year contract. Now, I know everyone's saying, who gives a shit about Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders is better than Jordan Howard. I get it. But to me, it's a similar thing with what's going on in Indy and, hey, with former... Colts OC, Nick uh, Sirianni, obviously now with the Eagles, like we need to realize people that these backfields are changing and there's likely going to be three backs involved in both Philly and Indy. I know Jonathan Taylor and I know Miles Sanders are for sure the touch leaders as they should be and they are going to do it. But are they going to get 300 touches like you want to draft them in the top six to get or are they going to get closer to 225? I lean towards that 225 number, man. So, you know, no, I'm not terrified of Jordan Howard or Boston Scott by any stretch, but I think this is going to be a different offense, man. We were already having to kind of make some leaps for Miles Sanders, not really getting the exact role we wanted. There's too much Boston Scott on pass downs. He's just not someone, he's in that group of RB2s that I just don't really want anything to do with in fantasy land because why take a chance on him in this muddled situation that, again, is more muddled than people are giving credit for when he can get a ball or a wide receiver at that same time.
1: The Eagles offense might not be good next year. Like that's that's not out of the range of outcomes for this team and running back production is tied to touchdowns and to the overall offense. So now you have Boston Scott, you have Jordan Howard, you have a running quarterback. So there's a bunch of different guys now that could score the touchdowns that potentially may not be coming in a surplus with this offense. That's brand new with Jalen Hurts. So it's just, it's there's concerns again. Also you have play concerns. If the quarterback's going to be running more, you're going to have less plays run per game. Less passing attempts. You need those passing attempts for Miles Sanders. So, I mean, look, I was kind of tweaking my rankings, and I had saw that I had Chris Carson behind Miles Sanders, and I quickly corrected that. There you go. So, at, at least Miles Sanders is being priced more appropriately. He's in the third round, kind of in that second tier of the, you know, the RBs. So, I understand him a little bit more at that price. But, again, Chris Carson is still going behind him in ADP, and I'm just going to be taking Chris Carson every single day.
0: Sanders is good with the ball in his hands, people. Just realize, only Zeke fumbled more among running backs last year. And it was Zeke and Sanders tied at the top in most drops at the running back uh, position. So, again, good player. I'm just not all that confident that he's this, you know, huge, just talent beyond talent that's going to take over a new offense that has in the past leaned on committee backfields. Andrew, the Bears have been discussing trading Anthony Miller, one of... You know, my many, you could say, some might say, a hater might say, one of my many misses uh, from last year. But look, with Anthony Miller, he scored seven touchdowns as a rookie with a bum shoulder. Really flashed in 2019 when Taylor Gabriel was hurt. Things start to look like he's the clear-cut number two wide receiver in 2020. No, he would have a good week, and then he's playing 30% snaps next week. Finally, in like week 11, I think it was like a prime time. might have been that Rams game, but I heard him say, Anthony Miller, they go, Anthony Miller won an award from his teammates, most likely to be late to practice. And then it all made sense, Andrew. So I think the talents there with Anthony Miller, if someone likes him enough to, you know, send a late round pick, I- I'm not against maybe getting behind him in a better situation. It's not like Miller has just, you know, been either force fed targets or had anything resembling adequate quarterback play. So You know, certainly seems like he's a knucklehead to some extent, but not someone that's a lawbreaker or anything like that. Obviously got thrown out of that Saints game, you know, when they said the entire week, do not, you know, mess around with Chauncey. Uh, He couldn't do that. So, you know, football, way more of a mental game than I think, you know, us fantasy analysts and us dudes looking at, you know, Excel sheets are going to give it credit for sometimes. Uh, Any thoughts on Anthony Miller, the player talent, or are you done with him?
1: Probably done with him because this is a very impressive of slot receivers coming in to the league with these rookie class, and the Bears are probably open for business for taking one of these slot receivers because they seem like they're kind of ready to move on from Anthony Miller. They're they're trying to trade him, see if they can get some sixth round, seventh round pick back for him or what have you. But I think it, it's good for Darnell Mooney potentially. He, you know, he can definitely you know potentially play a little bit more in the slot, and even like a guy like Cole Komet or Jimmy Graham. You know, both those guys play in the slot as well too. So if they don't have a bonafide slot receiver with Anthony Miller. I think that makes the Bears an interesting landing spot because behind Allen Robbins, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if a rookie stepped in, you know, a second round pick, third round pick and potentially out-targeted Darnell Mooney. Like that really wouldn't surprise me, especially if they are, you know, the number one slot receiver.
0: I mean, I don't know what they're putting in the water over at Memphis. Again, I understand Miller isn't, you know, the prospect of all prospects, but still a former second round pick, Tony Pollard. I mean, he was on the same team with Tony Pollard and Daryl Henderson. Obviously this draft's draft classes, a couple more uh, Memphis guys popping up there. Fun, fun school. I hope some of these guys, though, can start having more defined NFL positions because it's becoming a pain in the ass to get in these dudes uh, (laughs) featured roles around the league, despite uh, them obviously flashing a bunch of their talent. That wraps up the news, everybody. We're going to take a quick Break to pay some bills before getting on to our Leroy Jenkins segment. Basketball teams are entering the final month of the regular season as they gear up for the playoffs. While some teams are locked to make the playoffs, others are still fighting for their opportunity to chase the trophy this summer. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free bets if the basketball team of your choosing hits a 3. That's code PFF, turn $1 into $100 in free bets for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. It must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, make sure you call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Andrew, you thought of this idea. Why don't you tell everyone what our Leroy Jenkins segment is going to be?
1: All right. So the Leroy Jenkins segment is all about talking about certain players that are going, we're going all in, you know, the, the Leroy Jenkins, if you haven't seen it, it's a, it's a YouTube, very old YouTube video for again, like all those millennials out there that are listening. And basically it has to do with world of Warcraft. And it was a bit where. They were going to, you know, raid a village or something like that, and you know they're all planning on on the plan of attack. And then this one guy just screams. out, he's like Leroy Jenkins, and he just goes and charges in and gets absolutely destroyed and just burns. And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about these players that were just going all in. We're just like going in blindfold and shouting Leroy Jenkins at the top of our lungs and we're really not considering oh my god like this isn't gonna work like it's a it's a classic trope you use across all different types of industries from movies to to books all this stuff so of course we're gonna bring it to fantasy football and I guess Ian we'll kick off with your first Leroy Jenkins so far
0: So I've had a a rough enough time just going back and forth with all of you on Twitter with Cam Akers versus Jonathan Taylor. By the way, people, this is the (laughs) last thing I'm going to say. Akers is my RB11. Taylor is my my RB10. Taylor is my RB11. They are both awesome. I'm just saying I like Akers slightly more. But that's not what we're talking about here. (laughs) I think Alvin Kamara is shaping up as a potential Leroy Jenkins guy because, look, we know the targets and we know the touchdowns are regressing regardless of if it's Jameis or Taysom. If it's Taysom, that's really bad. We had the 10-target Eagles game where they were playing from behind. That kind of inflates the numbers, but man, it was fantasy wasteland for those first three weeks. We were looking at Kamara as a legit RB2 for that stretch. You know, the guy goes ahead and scores six touchdowns in Week 16 and all of a sudden people have no reason to worry about Alvin Kamara moving forward, but man, oh man, to see him still be this consensus top five back, like he has never had the workhorse role that we want in running backs. Now, the good news is is. He's always caught so many passes from old man Drew Brees that didn't matter. Again, fantasy football, when we're playing full point per reception, these running backs getting these receptions, like it's pretty much McCaffrey and Kamara, they become the cheat codes of fantasy football. Literally, Kamara and McCaffrey are the top two running backs ever in PPR points per game as it stands. I just see it going down for Kamara. Give me Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, Aaron Jones, and Zeke ahead of him, I would say Austin Eckler versus Alvin Kamara is a very good conversation these days because I just think that Kamara, him getting you know we are, we saw last year he got over the eighty-one hump, he didn't catch eighty-one passes for the fourth straight year, but I think that's a stretch, man. I put the over under closer to sixty-five, and he's still going to supply RB one value if he gets there. But there is a far lower floor for Kamara and really this entire Saints offense. Like I understand Drew Brees could not throw the ball 40 yards downfield last season. And this is kind of one of the traps I fell into uh, in looking at Phillip Rivers last year. We got to realize, people, just because you're a veteran quarterback doesn't have the same arm strength, the things they can do pre-snap and the ways they can set up their teammates, man, at least in the regular season before they really you know, hit a wall in the postseason, it can truly be special. You know, I was calling uh, going from Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz a QB downgrade and people were like scoffing at it. In terms of a big picture view, that's fine. But again, don't underestimate what one of these older, imm- global quarterbacks can do for their running back because they're leading high scoring offenses and they're never running so instead of getting scrambles or sacks you're getting a smart savvy guy that knows when to get the ball out of their hands usually to their running backs so hey alvin kamara i'm not saying don't draft the guy but as he's going as a top five back right now i certainly think he's closer to that rb1 borderline than i'm giving him credit for
1: all right i agree with you alvin kamara was one of my leroy jenkins but Unlike last time, Ian and I, we had a little powwow session so we wouldn't overlap because we were just so in sync last week when we were talking about the rookie landing spots. Andrew, or, so, Andrew,
0: failure to, to prepare is preparing to fa- fail, man.
1: Exactly. Okay, <laughs> so my first Leroy Jenkins of the 2021 season is is Travis Kelsey. And before you all attack me with your pitchforks coming at me, again, he's still tight end one. Like, he's, he can still be the tight end one and, and still – be potentially overvalued it's it's possible and that's the case because right now he costs you a first round pick usually in the middle of the rounds i've seen him go as early as third overall in some of the best ball drafts over on underdog fantasy usually around tight you know number six overall usually a couple running backs go and then travis kelsey kind of falls into place and the thing is we need to realize the differential and the advantage he gave us last season which was historically bad for tight ends except for travis kelsey isn't going to necessarily be as big, so he scored four point six fantasy points per game more than the tight end two, which was Darren Waller, and that was almost that was double his difference last year in twenty nineteen when he just scored two point three fantasy points per game more. So yes, he can still be the tight end one, but last year twenty nineteen he scored sixteen point nine fantasy points per game last season, or in two thousand twenty it was twenty two point one. So the the gap is going to narrow and it it even shows even 2018 was even smaller. It was just 1.4 between him and the fantasy tight end too. So we just have to expect some type of regression with Travis Kelsey in terms of how much better he's going to be versus the other tight ends. And I don't necessarily agree with taking him in the first round when you can get a difference making tight end like Darren Waller, like George Kittle in the round after. And I think that you'll like your roster much better If you draft a running back first, one of the studs, McCaffrey, Cook, Barkley, Henry, one of these guys, and then pair them with a Waller or George Kittle in the second round, as opposed to driving Kelsey and then taking a running back in the second round, I think you'll like your team a lot better.
0: We all agree Kelsey is tight end one but it's a tight end one tier. With Kelsey, Waller, Kittle, I like it, Andrew. Only Devontae Adams averaged more yards per run than George Kittle last year, man. Like, he looked so special every time he was out there. I know it's a different offense. He doesn't have Patrick Mahomes and all that. But, yes, I like that call. I mean, Kelsey, tight end one five straight years. Maybe he keeps it going. as just the tight end one into perpetuity. But we shall see. My second Leroy Jenkins player is DJ Moore, which hurts. I love DJ Moore. I think he's been underutilized. I think last year, the way they featured him as more of a field stretcher didn't help his talents. He's more of a yak guy. And Andrew, we've talked on here about Losing Curtis Samuel, how that maybe could get DJ more more slot reps, more underneath stuff. Hell, maybe even a couple carries here or there. The problem is, I don't think we're putting enough stock in the McCaffrey coming back because McCaffrey is, you know, going to probably have an extra 20, 30 targets in the next closest RB. I think we saw with Joe Brady last year. You know, whether it was Teddy, uh, you know, it it wasn't a difference in scheme like going from Kyle Allen, the previous offense that force-fed McCaffrey targets. When McCaffrey was healthy last year, or Mike Davis, they were getting force-fed targets. As well, So, unfortunately for DJ Moore, he's kind of in this like three-way committee in the passing game with him, Robbie, or McCaffrey, each being candid to lead the way in targets during any given week. So, right now, we need to bump Robbie much closer to a wide receiver two, and we honestly got to get DJ, I think, closer to that wide receiver two borderline. So, I'm guilty of this, and that's why I'm trying to fix it right now, people. It's April 13th. I'd rather be guilty of this now than, you know, on August 13th. So, I think DJ is too high. Robbie is too low. I need to take off my talent blinders for a second and realize what's more likely to happen, not what I want to happen. So again, love DJ more, but man, oh man, he's going ahead of Mike Evans, Julio, Thielen, Woods, Goblin right now. That's a lot for a guy that if he finished third on the Panthers and targets, we wouldn't be all that surprised.
1: Yeah. It's hard to conceptualize how different the Panthers offense is going to be. Now that we have a new quarterback, we have McCaffrey back in action. We haven't really seen all these pieces put together. Now we don't have Curtis Samuel. Will they draft somebody? So there's a lot of moving pieces with DJ Moore. I like him too as a talent, but again, this, we don't, again, it's cliche, but we don't like ADPs. We if like I players. could,
0: if I could control Sam Darnold's mind this entire year and decide where he, who he was going to target and when I'd be all in on DJ Moore. unfortunately, Andrew, it's, it's not a reality.
1: What is a reality is my next Leroy Jenkins in the final one of our segment here. So it's going to be Jamar chase, the rookie wide receiver from LSU. And the reason that is, just checking his ADP over on best ball, he is at the overall 65. He's going at pick 65, and it just doesn't add up with the relative to the other rookie-wide receivers. So he's going 30 spots ahead of Devontae Smith, over 50 spots from Jalen Waddell, 60 from Rashad Bateman, 80 from Rondell Moore, and almost 120 over Kadarius Toney. So... The thing is, look, is he the number one receiver in this class? Yes. That's what I think. That's that's what we have in our consensus rankings. I believe that he's the best rookie wide receiver entering the NFL this season. But at the same time, we don't know what team he's on. And when you could draft Cortland Sutton, Tyler Boyd, Odell Beckham Jr., they're all on the board at, you know, around that ADP of 65. I would much rather have those guys who I kind of actually can get an idea of who they're playing. You can stack those players. Again, we're rejecting Jamar Chase to potentially land with the Bengals. So you can dabble in some Joe Burrow stacks here and there, but we don't know the Falcons could take Jamar Chase or, you know, the Dolphins could take him. The Bengals could take an offensive lineman. So there's a lot of mystery with him, but I don't remember a receiver being ranked this high. Even sure. last year with the class of rugs, Judy, I honestly don't remember their ADPs being this high where you're actually spending like a six round draft pick on a rookie wide receiver way that we don't even know what team he's on yet and i think that's just a little aggressive for me and i i, I don't see the, the point really when you know waddle could be the first one draft we don't even know that ne- yet necessarily who's gonna be drafted first it was kind of a surprising to see rugs drafted first last year when lamb looked like the the clear you know one on one of the rookies so i think that he's it's a little out of control
0: Again, people, purpose of this segment, not to say don't draft Jamar Chase in 2021. Please, draft the guy. He's probably going to be a baller. Just realize, right now, we're assuming a lot of things are going right for him when there is certainly a lower floor. Yeah, I mean, usually we see these rookie rookies as a whole. Maybe you get your top few running backs that are kind of flirting in the 20 uh, range already. But the wide receivers last year, man, I think like they were all outside the top 40 uh, before the draft started. And even afterwards, like nobody was really rising. Chase is pretty much already being positioned as if he's landing on a team that's going to feature him as like a top two receiver from day one. So it could happen. He seems by all accounts, an incredible prospect. LSU has been, you know, factory for wide receivers as of late, but yes, I like that call right now. I haven't been coming away with him in many drafts because I'm just not willing to reach on him ahead of some of those guys. You mentioned also Robbie Anderson. I mean, uh, let's see, Jerry Judy, LaVisca Chenault. Again, Chase lands on the Bengals or something. I probably would take him over several of those guys I just mentioned. But as it stands right now, just a little bit too much optimism going with uh, Jamar Chase. But hey, if you disagree with us and you want to go put your money where your mouth is and you happen to like fantasy football, hell, maybe even like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog Fantasy. And deposit $10 using promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fancy. Andrew, we will be going live with Kevin Cole Thursday, I believe, at 7?
1: Yes. 7 Thursday, Eastern, Eastern
0: Thursday time. 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The only time worth a damn. I hate when people try to use something else. Catch Andrew, myself, and Kevin with some drinks and going through Underdog. Also, as always, on Fridays, you can catch myself and Roto World's John Dangle. Dagle, excuse me. My bad. At 6 p.m. where we do a similar shtick. Andrew, last segment, man, I, I like this idea a lot. Basically, people, we know we got ET, you know, we got our big three backs, ETN, Harris, Williams, so however you want to rank them, I'm not really going to disagree with you. Uh, but let's say, yeah. Those are our big three backs. Maybe someone else pops in. We don't know. But we're pretty much assuming when we look at any of these teams uh, you know, that really need an RB, if they get one of these top three backs, then their incumbent veteran, whoever the hell is at the top of the draft, depth chart now, is going to be screwed but there are more than three teams that we can realistically see taking these back. So the purpose of this study is to try to pinpoint which of these teams that quote unquote needs an RB might actually take one. Because if these teams don't take an RB, all of a sudden the veteran we're looking at now is going to see his price jumping a lot in the next few weeks. So Andrew, we're going to start off with the Falcons and their newly signed, you know, my fantasy comeback player of the year or not my comeback. Uh, what was he? I don't know. He won some award I gave him, but fantastic <laughs> year from last year. Freaking wakes up and breaks all the tackles. Mike Davis, are you holding, selling? What do you make of this Falcon situation?
1: I would probably be more likely to sell Mike Davis. So he kind of, I I kind of tiered all the players that we're going to list out here in terms of, you know, safety versus, hey man, like this is a situation where you don't want these veterans whatsoever. So I ranked him above, you know, the players on the Steelers, players on the Jets. But I think of the veterans, I think that he has probably the most concern of of the, the veterans that have, recently signed again he didn't sign a huge deal with the team and I think we talked about this when the news first dropped is his contract is basically identical to the contract that he signed with the Bears previously and that resulted in them drafting David Montgomery and him basically falling into oblivion and then eventually finding his way to the Carolina Panthers so uh, he doesn't necessarily add a dimension to their offense where they need explosiveness and that's not something they really offer So again he's a good back But again, we saw last year he started to wear down because he can't be the featured back for a whole season, especially now we have 17 games. So I think Mike Davis is fine. I think that he's going to be a compliment to a rookie running back that I think that the Falcons will probably draft. So for me, I would be looking to try to sell off a guy like Mike Davis.
0: I go as far as... Predicting that he should be the favorite to lead the team in touches next year, but I'm with you. I could see that number 68 or number 108 pick going to someone outside of these top three running backs. So I really don't see them using 35 on one of these big three running backs because I just think they have too many holes on defense. They could add another wide receiver. I think those are bigger needs. And to Davis's credit, two-year 5.5 million deal. I know it's two years, but that was how much they gave Gurley last year. And you know we didn't really bat an eye, and we assumed he would be the lead guy. So you know Mike. D- Davis in the year 2021 is quite a bit better than Todd Gurley as crazy as that is to uh, say out loud. And the fact that, you know, no one's even going to argue with me for saying that. I do think uh, Davis is someone that, you know, he's not being overpriced right now. And the good thing for him is we just got a a season of evidence last year that he can be, you know, a high end uh, three down handcuff if the situation calls for it. So. I don't think the Falcons are going to draft a big three back, but I'm with you, Andrew. I also think he's going to be a three-down stud when uh, everything's said and done. What about the Dolphins and Miles Gaskin, who, like Davis, we at least saw show on a professional football field the ability to stay on the field all three downs?
1: Yeah, we saw Miles Gaskin. You know, if he had actually stayed healthy the whole year, we would be talking about him more like a James Robinson, you know, from weeks one through 17, he finished sixth in expected fantasy points per game, 12th in fantasy points per game. You know, no one's talking about Miles Gaskin. Oh, he was an RB 12 in fantasy points per game. Like no one's talking about that, but he was because he beat out Matt Breida. He beat out Jordan Howard and he just kind of shocked the world when he came out in week one and was their bell cow. And that's the role that he entrenched for the rest of the season when he was healthy. And even when we had Salvin Ahmed come in and, relief and, and look pretty wet pr- look pretty decent. Okay, chill. That's the team. <laughs> <laughs> the team went back to Miles Gaskin even after he got COVID. Week 16, 75% snap share, 19 total touches. But we live in even though we talk about fantasy, we also have to be realistic and the Dolphins have a ton of draft capital, so it's it, it's it's really hard to be super invested in Miles gas So they have the two first round picks. They have a second round pick, two second round picks and a middle pick in the third round. So I, again, I kind of feel similar to miles Gaskin as I feel about Mike Davis. It's, it would be nice. And I think maybe I prefer Gaskin just a hair because last year the dolphins didn't pull the trigger on a running back and they kind of were in the same situation. So they're also pretty analytics driven. So I would assume that, Hey, we're going to be smart. We're not going to invest in the running back position. We have Gaskin. He looked good last year. We're going to continue to roll with him, but He's not someone that I'm really overstepping to make sure, Oh yeah, gotta get Gaskin in the Dynasty, gotta get him in best ball. Like that's that's not how I feel again. They're just they just have so much draft capital that they they really can take a running back in in, in day two.
0: If we want to assume that these top three running backs are going in the first two rounds, which may, they might fall to third, we don't know. But if we want to assume that, you know, we should be looking at that, you know, pick 64, 65 as kind of the cutoff. And yeah, man, the Dolphins with number 6, 18, 36, and 50. Potentially, at least with those last three, I think they could be in the market for those backs. I know they didn't draft a running back last year. Why is that the reason everyone's holding their hat on, like why they wouldn't this year? Gaskin's fine, but we saw them going to Salvin Achmed, having Lynn Bowden needing to play like Le- Legit snaps there at certain points. Like Malcolm Perry's out. Like, they need, they could use another running back, man. Might not might not be good for Gaskin's fantasy value, but I think it'd be, you know, a decent direction for the offense to go in. So, yeah, Gaskin, you know, he's just kind of like James Robinson for me, where, hey, if everything works out again and we get out by the end of the draft and they haven't added anybody, okay, let's get behind them. But I do think the Dolphins are going to take uh, one of these drafts. I'm not the most confident. I think that's going to be our next team that I'm most confident in getting one of these backs, but I would rank the Dolphins number two. Uh, in this selection in terms of who I think is most likely to snag uh, one of these top three. Andrew, my number one team that I expect to take one of these running backs is the Pittsburgh Steelers. I will point out that on my 32 for 32 series Steelers edition, uh, Matt Williams said uh, for his bowl call said Najee Harris at number 24. So Andrew, we know they need to run better. I think it makes too much sense for them to get one of these studs at
1: 24. I I 100% agree. The Steelers were look Benny Snell, Anthony McFarlane. I think it's telling that they're one of the few teams that has only subtracted from their backfield. Like they have not added any, Oh, I guess I'm sorry. Kalen Balazs. I apologize. They added Caitlin <laughs> Balazs. How can I forget about your my guy, guy? <laughs> your guy, my guy, Kalen Balazs. Um, But yeah, Caitlin Balazs. Like that, that, that's the thing. That's not a, a long-term answer for the Steelers and pick 20. I mean, I was looking at, you know, where they're selecting it. And really they just have their three picks. They have pick 24, their original pick in the first round, their original pick in the second round, and their original pick in the third round. And I I almost kind of agree with that statement that if if a team's going to take a running back in the first round, it would probably be Pittsburgh because if they wait till the second round, they're still picking in the second half of the second round. And there are so many teams that need running backs that would fall kind of in this category, even teams that have multiple second round picks that are picking ahead of the Steelers, that there may not be any of the big three left for them to take at number what number are they we're in the middle of the second round yeah 48 or whatever yeah Yeah. so yeah i am on board i think that they've been connected you know if you read any of the reports of of teams visiting of zoom calls you know etienne has been connected to them harris has been connected to them um even javante williams to an extent has been connected to them i think they like williams the least but etienne and harris i think that one of them is gonna land in pittsburgh
0: so yes I am with you. But with that (laughs) said, like, look, the Steelers, I know it didn't work out, you know, and by the way, it's pick 55, not 48. My apologies. Uh, With that, I mean, look, Pittsburgh, before last year, man, this was like the one place we could really hold our hat on with being able to enable a three-down workhorse, whether it was Le'Veon, D'Angelo Williams, healthy James Conner. Even for the first six, seven weeks of last year, James Conner was getting a pretty huge workload. I mean, if they do go ahead and snag Najee Harris, I know he's not going cheap right now, but I mean, when we're looking at guys like DeAndre Swift, Claude Edwards-Alaire, J.K. Dobbins, Miles Sanders, guys that we're pretty confident are going to be in a committee of some shape or size. I think we, we should be looking at getting whoever the Steelers draft made up in that top 15 pretty damn quick.
1: If the offense is going to be better than it was last year, look, I don't know if their one blocking unit can't possibly be worse because it was dead. it ranked dead last last year. And there's a lot of good tackle prospects in this class, a lot of good offensive linemen. So hopefully they can get some upgrades across the offensive line to help block for their new running back.
0: New York Jets did not really have running backs at the moment. They signed Tevin Coleman for a whopping $1 million, $1.1 $1. $1 million 400,000 guaranteed. We also got LaMichael Pirine, Ty Johnson, There's enough there in the sense that we've seen these guys play professional football. And if you look at kind of the Dolphins from last year, you could see a scenario where they don't draft someone because they have more needs, uh, more pressing needs right now. And they're not really going to be contending. With that said, obviously, we know Zach Wilson's going there at number two. Then they have number 23, number 34, number 66, and number 86. I'm pretty confident that they take a running back at some point. I'm not so sure it'll be one of these big three backs. though. what are your thoughts here,
1: Andrew? I think that they will. They have so much capital to use. You know, you mentioned the two, the second round pick that they have at the top. I think that's the sweet spot is really a pick number 34 at the top of the second round. I think that Harris might be there if the Steelers don't take him at the end. I think that at least one of the big three running backs is going to be there. And I think that it just makes sense. They're playing the long-term game, you know, with Harris or with, uh, with Zach Wilson. So getting him a elite running back, you know, someone that's going to make sure that can pass protect correctly None of these other players, like a Tevin Coleman, guys that are not reliable, you got to be build around your franchise quarterback. So I think it makes too much sense. I mean, I, hopefully they don't take a running back at number 23. But, yeah. again, some of these – it seems like when teams have two first-round picks, they feel, okay, well, we didn't use our first first-round pick <laughs> on a running back, but we can use Paul our second first-round pick on a running back. I think that's – I mean, that's what the Raiders did. Um, you know, yeah. they had a pick in the top five, and then they used it uh, their second pick on Josh Jacobs, so – Maybe the Jets will follow suit, but I think at number 34, I I think that Harris or Etienne or even Javante Williams would work.
0: So I think we both agree Steelers are number one here. Would you put the Dolphins or Jets number two, and you're most likely... I put
1: Jets Jets too. Okay. Yeah.
0: I think that's fair. Now, I'm going to skip down one because I think there's one other contender here, and people aren't going to like this, but I do think the Jaguars with Mr. James Robinson... Could be sinking, everybody. And again, it's not even Carlos Hyde. It's not Marlon Mack. It's not Jordan Howard. It's not these veteran backs we're worried about. We're worried about the size of the committee because – James Robinson last year was like one of the only running backs in the league just getting a future board horse You guys know how bad the Jaguars were. How the hell do you think James Robinson put up those sort of numbers? Like, okay, he was above average in efficiency stuff, but people, it was workload. It was volume. That's what we chase in fantasy land. And I just don't think we have any reason to believe Urban Meyer and Daryl Bevel are going to be running this one running back offense with a guy that neither of them have ever coached. I mean, look at Bevel. He had DeAndre Swift last year, and he gave Adrian Peterson the ball freaking for half the year before he turned it over to him so you know maybe robinson becomes his uh you know ap and he just feeds him the ball but you know hey with your which i, I kind of like that take where if they have that two first round picks they're more willing to kind of blow the second one even though they don't need to same thing with the jaguars number one number 25 number 33 number 45 and number 65 i mean 25 through 45 man hell they can get two of them if they really wanted to uh just set fancy twitter ablaze uh and all that i'm worried man i, I think james robinson is you know just going to be sliding and hey again maybe he leads the jaguars in touches he should be the favorite uh, the projected favorite to do so i'm just not confident that touch count is going to be anywhere near what we saw last year
1: new general manager trent Balkey from the san francisco 49ers has taken a running back in every single draft that he's been a general Ooh. manager of so From 2011 to 2016. So 2011, he took Kendall Hunter in the fourth round. 2012, he took LaMichael James in the second round. 2013, he took Marcus Lattimore in the fourth round. 2014, Carlos Hyde, second round. 2015, Mike Davis, who I didn't even know got drafted by the 49ers. (laughs) Fun fact. (laughs) Fourth round. And then 2016, he drafted Kevin Taylor in the sixth round. So top four, draft capital, you know, his first five years as a GM at the running back position. I mean, that's look, it doesn't matter. Okay. If it maybe it's not necessarily a second round pick that they use, but it's still going to be added to competition that just wasn't there at all last year. Like, I'm not making this stuff up. He they literally drafted a running back every single season. He was the GM in, in San Francisco. So I think that you just need to prepare yourself that the Jagu- Jaguars are going to add another running back. And I think it's, Even if it's not one of the big three guys, I think it's particularly bad for Robinson if it's a pass-catching specialist, because that just is another thing that saps up the upside of Robinson, who was just catching a lot of passes last year because he was the only show in town. And then you factor in Trevor Lawrence's ability to run the football as a rushing quarterback, steal touchdowns. Like, There's just a lot of question marks about James Robinson, a lot of red flags.
0: Like, I don't know, man. Travis Etienne made some pretty big plays against uh, Urban Meyer. Wouldn't it be the first time we've seen a college coach come up, start, yeah. you know, just kind of one-offing, uh, shooting at the hip. Like, did, did Urban Meyer really go to the NFL just so we can give James Robinson 300 touches? <laughs> I
1: I don't know, man. I don't know. No, don't he's going to give him to LaVisca Chenault. Um, 100 yes. carries for Chenault? Oh, my God. More. <laughs> More.
0: All right, now the Cardinals. We've already talked about this situation, so I think we can be a little more brief. But, yeah, man, I don't think there's any way. So some people are saying, like, getting James Robinson. They don't have any draft picks. Right, they're saying getting James Conner doesn't mean they can't draft someone. What, they're going to use number 16 on a running back? I don't think so. Then they have number 49. Their next pick is all the way at 161. They need to add so much to defense. I mean, no, it'd be borderline malpractice I'm going to RB in round one or two.
1: Yeah, I don't think that – read off the the draft picks that they have because I don't think a lot of people – because people are saying, oh, well, you know, they'll draft a running back in rounds two through four. It's like, guys, like they don't have any third-round picks. uh,
0: Yeah, again, they have number 16, they have number 49, and their next pick is 161. So they'll probably add like a late-round guy, again, like they did Eno Benjamin last year. But no, people, we need to get behind the Chase Edmonds, James Conner, RB committee, and we're in. This is a Chase Edmonds RB2 podcast, Andrew. We've been over that, uh, you know, since day one, since earlier this afternoon, so good stuff there. Last one, 49ers, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson. Of course they're not going to draft one. Their freaking coach is Kyle Shanahan, whose family invented the idea that running backs don't matter. I realize I said before that John Lynch is making the rules, not Shanahan, so maybe that does change. But, Andrew, I don't really see any way the 49ers are going to use a high-end pick on RB.
1: No, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, Raheem Mostert is in a really good spot this season. Again, I was listening to another podcast, Fantasy Footballer Podcast. Very great podcast. You should subscribe to it. And they had Kyle Yushek on their podcast. And he said that they're planning big things for Raheem Mostert next year. And that when he was playing, he was the guy last year when he got the touches, when he was healthy, like they were impressed with him. And that was Kyle Shanahan's guy. And look, we've seen every running back in the system for the most part thrive. And Raheem Mostert, again, it's weird, Ian, you might have to break your ageist type of thing with him because he is actually old, but it's in the weird way because he doesn't have a lot of a lot of touches in his career because he just never got to play, really, yeah. for the most of his career. So it's kind of the opposite of James Conner. You'd imagine James Conner's, like, 29 and just all dusty, and Raheem Mostert's actually the 25-year-old, but <laughs> it's reversed. But that's why we're going to reverse our takes on it. So we're in on Raheem Mostert, not as much on James Conner.
0: They're only ageist if they've also shown, like, like, you know, vast signs of declining play. Most are... Man, those first two weeks of last year, he was looking like a fantasy superstar, man. Like, the top speed he's put up. Only him and Tyreek Hill have clocked above 23 miles per hour in the NFL per next-gen stats. Like, this dude can fly. I think Shannon knows it. People, it was in 2020. The 2020 playoffs that Raheem Mostert was freaking, like, you know, not single-handedly winning the NFC Championship, but you go over 200 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, Shanahan doesn't forget that. Lynch doesn't forget that. And I liked your, uh, you know, looking back and seeing what the general managers have done before since Lynch took over. Over in 2017, I mentioned before, they took Joe Williams. There, there's a lot made of this. That was a fourth-round pick that Shanahan begged for. Other than that, not a single RB has been taken by the 49ers since 2017. Raheem. I literally have not had a best ball draft yet where I have not gotten Raheem Moster. I think Jeff Wilson is a fine late-round pick too, man. I think both of them are the favorites to lead the way. And Jermichael Hasty, maybe he mixes in a little bit as well. I'm not as high on him as others. Again, maybe he's a late-round guy or an undrafted free agent, but at a minimum, Andrew, once this draft's over, Raheem Moster, man, I think people, when you just look at who's the, pro- like again, making the projections finally, I think Raheem is going to be rising up those boards as people realize that he's undervalued right now.
1: Yeah, I, I think I was too—I was so far on the Raheem Mostert fade last year, which I think was correct based on where he was going. And I kind of forgot to just, like, hey, you know, come back down. Like, we're <laughs> back in now because now he's way cheaper. And, and I think that's important. You don't have to adjust you how you feel about certain players. Again, you can really like a player one year because he's priced at this, and then the next year he's priced at, you know, way higher or way lower. And you have to change your take, even though be like—you don't necessarily be the guy, like, I always hate X player. I don't like this player. It's like, no, like, New Year— You got new prices. (laughs) Be open to new opportunities.
0: Exactly. And seriously, people, Raheem Mostert, young 29, believe me, PFF has partnered with Symbol, that's S-I-M-B-U-L-L, the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Uh, Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. NFL Free Agency is here. Obviously, a draft from around the corner, and whoever lands at the top of the market player will be sure to see their team stock rise. Jaguars, Jets, 49ers, you're confident about one of these rookie QBs? Consider going to Symbol and investing in that team. Use promo code PFF and deposit $10 at slash. Slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF, $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. Maybe check out our draft guide with that annual subscription. If not, please check out our draft show, which will be uh, kicking off 7 p.m. on Thursday night, April 29th. Well, have Chris Collinsworth there for a bit, we'll have our whole team of draft guys. I'll be there giving immediate fantasy reactions. We'll also be live again Friday during rounds 2 to 3 at 6 p.m. Saturday rounds 4 through 7 at 11 a.m. And, of course, a draft recap on Sunday at noon. So that's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. You can find Andrew on Twitter at AndrewAir and underscore and you, you got a bunch of articles coming out in the week man what can people read on pff.com
1: So coming out on pff.com is a monster colossus piece about all the rookies all the rookies your hearts can desire I worked on it Ian worked on it everyone over on pff everyone part of the fantasy team shout out to Kevin Nathan Jared Ben Brown everybody Put their heart and soul into this piece, and it's going to have you all covered for the rookies. Everything you need to know pre-draft, and then we're going to be updating it post-draft. So you're going to get instant analysis, because I know that everyone, all the degenerates, have their dynasty rookie drafts You know, right on that Sunday after the draft <laughs> ends. I know I got a couple. I'm already getting the notifications about mine. Okay, here's the draft. It's going to start Sunday at noon. You better be ready. So we want to get you ready, so you want to make sure you check out that article.
0: As always, check that out on PFF.com. He's Andrew. I'm Ian. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.